mobile robot on East Hennepin Avenue in available Minneapolis. This is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Ellen Burns Johnson, and I make nice games. I'm Steve McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. For this week's episode, our topics are maintaining an open source project and killers. Who needs them? And so, if everyone is ready, let's start. Um, so I went to Summer Games and Click. Just gonna start off right away. Yeah. Saying that. Yay. Was <laughs> Which it fun? You've been threatening to do that for years. I yeah, it's true. You finally did it. I've always wanted to well, because you know, it happens Summer Games and Quick happens in Minneapolis. Um, because we have a relatively large speedrunning community. I keep finding out that people I've known for a while Is that the are, reason? I always thought it was just the organizer just happened to be from here. I think it's I think it's a combination of the two. Oh, okay. Because we have a sizable speedrunning oh, community that organizes. Okay. Um and I, I keep finding out that like people I have known for a long time um are do speedrunning. <laughs> but like on the couch. <laughs> this is an open call to everyone out there. Stop hiding these facts from Steven. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Gosh, it's rude. <laughs> um so it was really interesting because you know, um Summer Games and Quick hasn't been on uh in person for a while because of COVID. Yeah. Um and so uh it was cool to be able to go um in person for the first time. So I was part of the audience. You can hear my voice at certain parts. Probably during the, the Kirby um, and the Forgotten Land speedrun. That was my favorite. Thing. That was great. Um, I mean, real quick, uh, yeah. speaking of live in person, you yeah. were saying how impressed you were with their COVID protocols. Yes. Um, so, you know, a lot of events are, you know, making sure that people are vaccinated and they, you know, you have to send that proof initially ahead of time. And so, like, they did that. Um, but they also, like, cut attendance in half, maybe a little less than half than they normally was. So, like, I think they normally have it open for, like, Two uh, two thousand five hundred people. They cut attendance to like twelve hundred people, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, and uh, all of the seats at the event were spaced out six feet away from everyone. Um, and they were enforcing during the event, like make, making sure people were sitting away because people would like move their chairs close to yeah. one another. Because I mean, you oftentimes would come with people. Like I didn't go by myself. I went with my brother, um, and Reese, um, who's been on the show before. Um, and, uh, you know, we tried to sit together and somebody was like, no, nah, no, nah, you can't do that. You got to sit in another chair. Um, so like, and, and they also had like people cleaning the seats regularly too. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like, it was very impressive, um, to see how seriously they were taking it. Yeah. Um, and it made me very comfortable being there. That, that enforcement, uh, tale you told us yeah. while it uh, was, that's the thing that impressed me the most is mm. that it, I think a lot of times these things, and certainly as the pandemic has gone on, it's become just a a list of bullet points pasted to a door. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, so it's nice that they actually just like, no, we're actually going to take it seriously. Yeah. Um, and I mean, good because it, I mean, it mm-hmm. does, it does change the event. Yeah. But like, it uh, really did. risk is lower now, but I think um, it, it doesn't hurt the experience so much to have those restrictions enforced. Yeah. And so I'm glad someone's doing it for an event yeah. like this. I mean, I will say that like uh, during some, some of the larger, more people were attending some of the events, it was difficult for them to enforce it in those situations. I did see that at the, the very end, it looked like it was a little bit more crowded, but I, my guess is they saw that coming and like, yeah. but, but I was, I was seeing earlier on. Yeah, we really were. People were very far apart. Oh, even yeah. on the couch. Yeah. Um, yeah. They, they, they don't have a couch. They had like two seats. Mm-hmm. Uh, six feet apart from one another. Everybody who was speedrunning was also wearing masks. Um, you know, masks were enforced, and they had you wearing the specific kinds of masks that are better, not just like plain co- cloth masks. Yeah. Um, but like the uh the KN KN95s and such. Mm-hmm. Um, 
they gave they gave everybody N95 masks, like four N95 masks that you could use. Oh, really? Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, that makes enforcement easier. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Everybody has one. Um, it was really cool. Um, and, you know, I you went to a lot of the things. It was a whole, you know, it's a whole week. Um, it's kind of interesting going to Summer Games on Click, like actually being an attendant there. Because, like, when you're there, you're just watching <laughs> the event instead <laughs> of, like, how I normally would have it is just, like, up on the in the background while I'm working or what have you. Um, was it somewhat underwhelming in a way? No, it wasn't. It was, well, it was a little underwhelming only in that, like, because everybody was spaced out from one another, I, it was difficult to, like, have conversations about the run. Right, right. Um, which, you know, I, I it was a sacrifice, but I'm happy to do that to make for yeah. safety purposes. But um, Fewer high-fiving. Yeah, fewer right. high-fiving. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was more that it was like I had to travel. It's in, it's technically in Bloomington, not in Minneapolis. Um, so I had to travel from my place to Bloomington when I wanted to go. Um, so it was a bit of a hassle to coordinate that with everybody else who wanted to go with. Yeah. Um, and then like when you're there, and when you're there, it's cool and type and stuff. But then you're like, oh, I don't know if I want to stay for this event or for this this next speed run. Like all of the speed runs, even when you're there, when you're there, are entertaining because you're still part of the crowd and it mm-hmm. get more hype. Um, but like, I don't know, uh, you you get tired after a certain point because people <laughs> need sleep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So, um, I, uh, uh, so it was just like, a, it was a bit of an adjustment, more of an adjustment than I would have expected. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was cool. You can see me and my brother walking across, uh, the stage, uh, during the, um, what was it called? The Alan, he rushed the stage. I didn't rush it. And he's it. admitting he to it too. It. I didn't rush it. I walked wow. past. And there's evidence and everything. Oh my gosh. You <laughs> gotta find this. You gotta find this. Wild man. It was Kaizo Super Mario or Super Metroid. Kaizo Super Metroid. Mm. Yeah. Um, me and my brother walked uh, across it a few times, so you can see us during that speed run. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it was it was a fun time. I am not sure if I will go again next year, mm-hmm. but I will seriously consider it because yeah. I did have a good time. It was mm-hmm. a fun time. Yeah, I, maybe it's one of those things where like you've done it now. Yeah, that's right. that's kind of what I'm thinking. But I mean, I it, might, it might be it might become a tradition. You haven't mm-hmm. decided yet. Yeah, I haven't decided yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll see next year. Yeah. Uh, Ellen, your hey. 100th episode is coming up soon. Oh, my gosh. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> what? 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 Yeah, we've been counting. I'm old now. Now, we're not good at calendar math, but we are. Yeah, we're not going to guarantee this count, but we yeah. have been counting. Yeah, we have, we're have. we pretty decent at regular math, so we can count up <laughs> from 1 to 100. <laughs> Stephen, don't make promises. <laughs> calendar math is like counting in a different base or something. Yeah, exactly. It's just exactly. like this weird skill that only astronauts have or something. <laughs> And we don't have it because we're not astronauts. Um, this is episode 270. Yes. Yeah. And it's, which is your 100th? Supposedly. Yes. 272. Yeah. So that's going to be in two weeks, folks. Yeah. Whoa. This is Ellen's 100th hosting, I think. Not Ellen's 100th because I think that would. Right. You were on two episodes this, prior, this, maybe three. This would be like a 100th episode, I guess, from a different count. But we're not <laughs> counting that one. That's right. not the for I, real. I forgot all my party streamers. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, you you're gonna plan something fun and goofy for us, and we're just you can do whatever you want, right? More fun and goofier. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that was a, a one standard plan. deviation away from the norm. Yes, maybe maybe more than yeah, yeah. Same show, but yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah, it'll be fun. Maybe maybe snacks. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Oh, Probably we get snacks? Not on the air though. That's gross. <laughs> so stay tuned for that. I'm particularly excited because I don't have to do any prep. Yep. 
Same. Just oh no. Always a, a, I mean, a great show for me. Let <laughs> me let me be clear. I'm not going to do any prep either. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just have our regular conversation on the air. That'll be fine. Well, you'll, you guys will find it. It will, it'll be fun. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, in more Ellen news. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I. Uh, <laughs> I thought you were going to, re- there's a bullet point right here that you could have read. For you to read. Yeah, for instead, your... instead, you gave me it's these Ellen's eyebrows. News. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> okay. Yeah. So I got I got into a cool club. Um, I got into the Dolly 2 beta. Um, so Dolly is, and we'll, we'll link it in the show notes. Um, it's this, uh, it's an algorithm that lets you use natural language. When I say natural language, like the way that you would say a phrase you type it into the te- the prompt, the input, and it spits out an image of what you described. Yeah. Um, and it uses some pretty cool stuff like adversarial techniques or something like that. So it's like basically it's almost like it's it's this AI is basically two AIs talking to itself mm-hmm. and it like it games against itself. So like one is trying to trick the other one. And the other one's trying to guess what the first one did. And so it's uh, we can also try to find some good reading on it and link that in the show notes because I probably didn't do it justice. But um, the real point is it's got some really cool stuff. So I was just I've been like popping in there a couple of times a day and generating weird stuff. And I put some of these weird photos that I generated at the bottom of our episode script so you can see what I did. Okay. And we'll include some of these in the in the show notes as well on the page so you can see what's here. Um I made a very scary looking teddy bear with dragon wings and demon eyes. What was that was the prompt scary looking teddy bear with it look I mean the thing it's incredible with how these things look. They really do look handmade. Now I think a lot of people listening have probably heard of Dolly Mini, which is something that is available to everybody and it's oh. a it's a it's a smaller, it's a less robust version of this algorithm, and that's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. But you can tell it's they're generated images. Yeah, I mean, unless you really, you know, go and look at the pixels, um, it's very difficult to, to know that these are uh, computer generated. Yeah, they well, seem like original pieces of work. They do, and some of them are. Some of the ones that I've shared also have um, are, are easily they're even better. Like what I did with this one to get to the teddy bear is I typed in a sentence that was just three D render of a teddy bear with dragon wings and fire eyes, and it. Put out some things that look a little goofy. Uh-huh. And then what you can do is you can actually like target specific parts of specific images and have it re-render. Oh, okay. And it'll make it, it'll get better. Oh, so there's, and that also trains the model. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So I put this particular teddy bear was the result of um, one cycle of that kind of iteration. So mm-hmm. I could have gone through a couple. And some of the, some of the um, demo images that I'm seeing on, like if we go onto the front page, it'll show you all these like demo images. I'm assuming that those are like the result of a few different iterations Mm -hmm. in that certain way but it like it took me like less than five minutes to make the teddy bear that's incredible and it's really cool and very scary (laughs) there's two interesting things about this project that i think um it's like is it going to put artists out of work and i i'm fairly certain no it won't do no and not just because there's always going to be more art it's because uh algorithm like this it can only synthesize it can't really create. Right. And so it, what it is, is it's, you know, you can train the model on a lot of things, but it only knows what exists. Right. Right. So it can only build, and, and that's actually quite true of a, of a human's creative process as well. But there is something that we, that, that creation we can do is just a little bit better than what these things can do. And it's interesting. I've seen some of the examples posted online and you can kind of tell when they're described in a certain way that how 
the prompt is very specific. Mm -hmm. There's no room for interpretation, essentially. Right. Um, and it, it looks like a mix of things that are described in the, in the thing. And, and if something looks strange, it's because the, the model that, that part of the model it went to to find those things biased it in that way. Yeah. And that's the other interesting thing about this is the level of bias is based on the input that's provided. Exactly. Right. And it's something that the researchers have put a lot of thought into um, if not solving, because it's a hard problem to solve, at yeah. least preempting the discussion about it. That's they want they want people to know that this model is biased, mm -hmm. that it reflects a lot of the um, uh, racist and sexual uh, uh, discrimination that is part of our culture. Mm -hmm. And they they um, they have checks supposedly for users of of mm -hmm. the model um, to prevent against abuse. Okay. But the model itself can be a vector for abuse sure. um, just by cr generating images that reflect and reinforce these bits of culture. That is fascinating. It's very, it's, it's, it's dangerous yeah. material, but it's uh, just reading about their understanding of, of it and their kind of acknowledgement that there's only so much they can do, mm. which is, I think worthy of criticism. Sure, um, but uh, it's very interesting. It's part of their FAQ on on their website that oh. we'll link in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I find it utterly fascinating because really, what it is is it, it it synthesizes what's available. So I have a direct example of that very thing. Yeah. So I actually inserted another one here. Um, we were trying to see how stock photo-y we could get this thing to create yeah. stock photos, and so I typed in stock photo of a businessman at his desk. They are all with middle-aged white dudes, yeah. <laughs> right? Like I didn't specify that, but that's what came out as a default because that's what it's learning from, yeah. right? Yeah. It's having worked with a lot of stock photos, not a great supply of like people of color in business settings, right. which is really frustrating mm -hmm. um, for many people for lots of different reasons. Mm -hmm. And this is a direct result of that, you know? So we had, a, you know, I was chatting about this with my husband. We had a really good conversation about that. Um, Gosh, none of these people look excited at all. <laughs> also, something worth noting: <laughs> the default businessman is a bored white dude in a blue-green collared shirt. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Interesting. <laughs> um, so scrolling down, I did a eight. The prompt was 1800s photograph of a laborer in front of an empty railroad. Yeah. Oh wow. It really didn't do the faces well. No, it did not. <laughs> like there are no faces. It's quite horrifying to huh. look at, actually. Yeah. And sometimes the railroad gets a little weird. Yeah, there's like there's one where the rail goes right around him. Yeah, <laughs> splits and goes right around. <laughs> That's him. not how that works. Yeah, but um, there you go. You know, labor again. Uh, you know, a, a male figure, but also the the 1800s photograph. The data set it goes to doesn't have clear images, and so it doesn't quite understand that you still are looking for a human person, right? It, rather than a person who appears in these photographs as they appear. So it's like there's you can kind of yeah you can tell where yeah. it it catches up and you know those things that 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 language processing can be improved yeah mm -hmm. and that's a lot of what you're describing you train the model by being part of this right and that's what right exactly yeah. that's what the beta is for is to get some real chumps like myself to yeah. come in here and do things like <laughs> make me broccoli at the dentist which is one of the the last picture that I included in here broccoli at the dentist's <laughs> office is at the bottom of the document oh, and that's I think. Pretty good. <laughs> It created a couple of them cold. have eyes, yeah. like yeah. they're anthropomorphized. Which see that that reflects the the phrasing is some, when, if you were to tell if you were to ask somebody to draw a broccoli dentist office, they would imagine a sort of a cartoon scenario, mm -hmm. and so it, it you can see that it's picked up on that because our culture would Ref would produce something exactly, like that. exactly. Yeah, wow. yeah it's really interesting. That's so cool. Um, I think the last the other few that we don't have to mention these specifically, but like I did a woodblock style one. 
I then I asked it to like render a few different ideas in the style of some different artists. So like Tamara de la, I'm not going to pretend his name right. Tamara de la Pinka, mm-hmm. Limpinka, Limpica. Anyway, she's the one uh, she painted herself. It's called like auto portrait. It's like a self portrait of her driving a green Bugatti. Mm-hmm. And so I told I told it to do cat in a green Bugatti by Tam- Tamara. Um, de lampica mm-hmm. and it did that <laughs> i think it did yeah. it pretty well like there's definitely some good. things that need to be iterated on one yeah. of these cats is directly coming out of the hood that's not right <laughs> but it's pretty cool yeah yeah and it, it does reflect the style uh yeah it's not it's not just making photo- photographs it's not making realistic renderings it's really just making whatever you tell it to it's make. Ma- yeah i can i could have told it to do a cat driving a green bugatti as a photograph and yeah. it would have done that um and yeah, so I also had to do the Mona Lisa, but with a soda can instead of a woman. And what it, what it produced was basically like Coke ads, but it made up new soda names for the soda. Oh, yeah. So it says like Lona, Loma, Lasona, Mona, Lasona. I'm pretty sure one of those says oily. I don't think I drink that. I don't think that's a real word. <laughs> oh, um, fascinating. And then my favorite one was uh, businessman at his desk in the style of Egon Shelley. Um, who's one of my favorite artists, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name right either. Um, but I thought it was really nailed the style, and also like some of the poses were just so evocative. Like, you know, yeah. we were looking at the businessman earlier, and all them was just like, Ugh. <laughs> and they just look bored, and they had their blue green shirts on. And here, it's like because this artist was so expressive in the way that he posed people, mm-hmm. like it's really picked up on that. And now you've got like a businessman who's like, seems like he's about to flip the table over yeah. or <laughs> like, is a just moping and melting on the side of, I don't know. It's just really interesting. Yeah. So we'll share those images on the mm-hmm. show notes and you guys can give me ideas about <laughs> what I should pop into <laughs> this thing. It's what's so exciting is, um, so uh, talking with the, the team on dream settler, we are producing a fake internet. So, mm-hmm. um, and we're also, we're heading into the MySpace era, the time we're oh talking boy. about. And so we're, we're talking about things like profile pictures and just oh. large quantities of images that we need to produce that are supposedly from different uh, characters in the game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the solution to this, you know, uh, uh, has been uh, commissions, mm. um, you know, getting a lot of people to contribute small, small amounts of, of work for mm-hmm. as much, uh, consideration as we can provide yeah and that's still you know a big part of it um but also we do need just gobs of data that are not specific yeah. and so we've looked at some of these tools as a way to get us halfway there and we can tweak or modify because what because one of the things about these uh um computer generated images is that they do not hold any copyright um that's one of the few like facts of modern uh, the the modern digital age that uh, uh, related to um, copyrights that is a settled question. Mm-hmm. Um, the the code the the product to to make them is is you know you can copyright or patent a product mm. um, or or a process or a method. Yeah. But the actual art generated is is owned by no one, <laughs> and it's a boon to to developers who need content. And the better that these tools are, the more we can use them to create not just gobs of data but actually things we want yeah. and so it's not going to be able to fully texture your 3d model yet but that is where it's going and so the the, the question is is like is it going to replace artists it's no but it will replace a lot of labor a lot of art labor yeah that's a good way to phrase it and i think that uh you know um i mean since photoshop 
you know, there's, it's always been like, oh, well, it just makes, it unlocks my creativity. So yeah. having all these tools, is, it, it, it doesn't have to be threatening. Right. But it also means that there's going to be a lot of, of content generated by people who are not artists. Mm-hmm. And you'll probably be able to tell. Not yeah. because the quality is any worse, which is the old way you used to be able to tell, but that the it doesn't co- coalesce into a, a vision or a concept, right? And, and mm-hmm. because it lacks an artistic sensibility, it'll look familiar. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, mm-hmm. and 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 that's another use of a tool like this is to make things that does look familiar. Yeah, right. and that's yep. what that's sort of that's, our aim for. That's it, what you want to do is we yeah, want it to cool. be specific and something that is known to people. Um, it just sort of curated by us. Um, well, also we are creating a, a, a crazy amount of original assets as well. Yeah. Um, so we've really looked into this, and so like it's pretty cool that you got access because I may have to borrow the the wheel <laughs> one <laughs> afternoon. We cut that part of the podcast yeah. out if we need to. No. Um. My my that that sounds awesome. And my first project, personal project that I'm going to be using it for is to do new D and D character portraits. Yeah. We're starting a new campaign. We're actually using a different system. My playgroup, we're going to switch to Savage Worlds, and we're going to try that out. But oh. um, still need to do the character portraits, because how can you roleplay a character if you don't have a detailed portrait of them <laughs> and a detailed backstory that's at least five pages long? Um, yeah, at least. Yeah, there's AI that can give you that, too. <laughs> <laughs> that's not, you know. <laughs> no. There's some lines you don't why, cross. <laughs> why even play the game, then? <laughs> so, like, we've done, like, a third of an episode already. Should we... <laughs> Should we get onto the round? Table? I'd say so. Yeah. Sometimes there's just some interesting things that happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Man, these images. Yeah, we'll put these in the show notes. They're really, really interesting. For sure. We'll probably come back to this as the as the project develops and we learn more about it and I come up with better pictures of broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of open source projects, um, which is the core of 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 Dolly, open AI uh, algorithm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be talking about maintaining your own open source project. Ah. Wow. And so um, I've mentioned this in the show a, a little bit in the past year uh, uh, that I made a game engine for Playdate. And it's an open source code library that sits on top of the Playdate SDK, mm. helps you manage scenes, uh, helps you manage sprites, does a lot of the things that a game engine does. Um, but the SDK for Playdate is so robust that it doesn't do like it doesn't need to do that much. And that's why it was within scope for me to make. Um, I've talked about that on the show before. I think we did. We put my talk about it as an episode. We'll have to put that in the show notes. But I want to talk about what it takes to maintain a project when it's sort of out and other people might want to, one, use it, but also might want to contribute their own code to it. Right. And this is just a bunch of learning for me. Like, I'm not good at this, um, but I know how to do it now. Okay. So, <laughs> so I can kind of give you my, uh, just the 101 um, on, the, uh, on how it works and, and how I've approached it. Um, and some of the problems that you might face that you wouldn't expect. Yeah. Um, so this is going to be very GitHub focused. Um, okay. You can, you know, uh, open source doesn't require any tools whatsoever to be open source, mm-hmm. but to actually make use of it, you're usually going to use Git and you're going to use a Git hosting service like GitHub. Okay. And so, and GitHub has a lot of specific tools that I'm going to be referring to. So that's where my experience begins and ends uh, for this side of things. But a um, couple of general things that I learned pretty quickly was um, I needed to have this project exist inside of another project for me to be able to work on it. Mm. And um, so uh, people have heard me talk about it before know that I made it for the Widget Satchel sequel right, that right. I'm making for Playdate. Yeah. And that's how it started. Uh, I was making enough uh, helpers and libraries and stuff for that game that I broke it out, turned it into an engine, and then that became a, a, its own project. Mm-hmm. 
but I needed to bring it back into the the not just to use it for the game, yeah. but to actually develop the engine itself. I needed to have a working game around it. Um, at least for me anyway, I found it very difficult to develop it in isolation um, because you need to be able to test and iterate just as quickly as you do any code you're working on a game. Right. And I don't have the experience doing it any other way. Um, so I think the solution for that, because what happens is if you main, maintain a library that's open source and you want to, you don't want your game code in there, right? Widget Satchel is not an open, Widget Satchel 2 is not going to be an open source game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Even though a big part of it is going to be this project. Mm -hmm. um, and so the way around it is using something called Git submodules. Oh, okay. So Sub either of you know what that is? I've not heard of this before. It sounds like a Star Trek thing. It does. And it's one of the reasons I, it, I took to it so quickly. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. So um, basically, it's a way to put a Git repo inside another Git repo. Oh, okay. And it's one file that references. It was my brain all over the podcast. <laughs> So the 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 code uh, yeah. for the the actual like um in of the embedded library the submodule mm -hmm. exists in a folder somewhere in your main project. Right. That's not any different. But instead of a .git folder in there, you've got a file that references a, a project uh, like a, a, a the 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 commit of another project. Oh. Which says okay. everything in this folder is uh, matches a, 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 a status from another repo. Uh -huh. So when you um, when you make changes to uh, the main project, what well, you can pull them in to your other project, the, the submodule of the other project. Yeah. And then all the only thing that changes in your main your main project is that one file that just points to a different commit. Okay, I see. E even though all the files still exist, right? They're yeah. ignored by your main project. Yeah. So I don't think I've described that very well, but basically the the that's helpful for me in terms of developing the thing. But also, mm. it's extremely useful when you're using somebody else's library, because what that means is that if you have your own project on a Git repo, a private one of your own, yeah. And the engine code is in a subfolder, a library folder somewhere, or not just the engine, any any library. Right. Um, you you're probably not going to make any changes to that because yeah. it's not that's a library. You don't touch it. Yeah. But if if the maintainers uh, make a change to it, make an update, how do you get that updated code in your project? Right. You can download the, the new the, the the latest version and replace it and blah blah blah. Yeah. But the sort of more elegant way of doing it is in your project, you have the, that project as a submodule. Sub so when when it gets updated, you you pull those changes directly. And you pull you pull that separately. Yes. Yeah, so um, okay. in um, so I use uh, Fork, which is a, um, a a Git client. I've been using that too. Uh, it's pretty good, right? Uh, <laughs> I like it in a lot of ways, and a few ways I don't. But well, I describe it as source tree, but but working. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> sure, so that's fair. It's I very agree with it's that. very familiar to people who've used source yeah, tree, which yeah, is by is. far more popular. Mm. Um, um, basically, and uh, source tree works the same way, I believe. Yeah. Um, you have just in the left toolbar somewhere, you just have all the submodules in your project. Oh. Double click that sucker, opens up a new tab, and there's the project. Oh. And it just exists, and it, it exists in your. So if you do make changes, yeah. Yeah, that's the other good thing is if you do make changes to the the the, the library in your larger project, mm -hmm. you can still push them to just the library's repo. Oh sure. Oh okay. That's so cool. that's very useful for me. So my um my local copy of Noble Engine is inside the library folder of Widget Agile Two, mm -hmm. and then when I want to make changes, I'm usually making it inside a working game that I can compile and run. Yeah. But instead of having to remove all that code each time or ignore all the stuff around it, right. it's just the repo just exists inside the other repo. And so I just double click it, 
it opens it there as if it's its own thing, mm-hmm. and uh, I push and pull as I need. Okay. So, uh, so you can maintain. You can do this for multiple projects. You can yeah. have the you can have the library in three or four projects, and you can make a change in any of them and push it. And then on the other three, you just pull them back down. Wild. Okay. Um, That's cool. Yeah, it's very intuitive, yeah. but it does take a little while to figure out. Sure. And then once you do, it's pretty good. Okay. But I think it's that's one thing I learned that it's just like necessary for maintaining a project like this, especially if it's going to be a library that that is going to be in other people's projects. Yeah. Um, and uh, so yeah, this. So the other reason it's really beneficial is for when other people use it, they get those advantages. But it it makes it just much easier for you to teach people how it works. Mm. And also, in my case. I'm much more comfortable giving code to people that's not finished. Yeah. Because the thing about Noble Engine is that it's usable. It's 100% fine. Mm-hmm. It's got a couple bugs here and there that you can work around them. Sure. Um, but I wouldn't call it done. Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't, I have not made a release of it. I'll talk about releases on GitHub in, in a minute. Um, but um, so I'm able to let people have it because I'm not worried about orphaned old code getting stuck in people's projects. Which, if you use, say, the Unity Asset Store, sometimes you don't want to update stuff because it works fine and you're yeah. fine with it, right? Yes. <laughs> um, and so I'm happy to leave that choice up to the people who use it. If okay. they're fine with it, they don't need to update the engine. But I don't want to strand anybody or stick them with an old version that I know is not finished. Yeah. Because I'm probably going to make some changes that break things. Mm-hmm. And so I want to make sure that like everyone has the opportunity, if they are an early adopter of my library, that it's easy enough for them to do it. Okay. It does create a little more demands on the documentation oh, because sure. you have to explain, no, don't l- download this project. <laughs> Go to my template project, download that. Because mm. that's the other thing I did for it is that I made a GitHub template, which is sort of a, a one-click operation to start a new project locally. If you use the GitHub desktop application, it's really integrated. But even from the website, which is how I use it, it's pretty yeah. simple. Okay. Um, so you, you, um, a template will then will clone your project. And inside the template, it's a playdate game template that I've made uh, that has a Noble Engine sub-module in it. Mm-hmm. So basically I'm advising people to just start with that rather than download the engine or clone the engine itself yeah. because the engine has some opinions on where things go in libraries and stuff. Like this, you'll you'll find this with other game engines that like they work a certain way or they have special folders. Um, noble Engine is kind of like that. Like you have to put it in libraries slash noble because that's what the code expects it to be, yeah. right? And and so unlike, say, Unity, where every file in it is imported in a, in a process, it gets a GUID, and so you can move things around. Yeah. Um, that's a really complicated process, but the upshot is that you don't necessarily have to worry where files are located mm-hmm. all the time. There's mm-hmm. less it's hard-coded that way because they maintain the same identity, essentially. Yeah. Um, a lot of code-only projects don't have that luxury. Right. Um, and so you so the template project is provided, I provide to set up Get, help people get started okay, because cool. one of the important things I think about when you're when you want people to use your stuff yeah. is make it as easy as possible for right because yeah. otherwise people will get confused and they'll bother you about it and it's a whole thing right right and yeah. you'll deserve the bother yeah like, yeah. yeah but I mean like it, it, it no yeah and people won't it's the same thing with video games right you, yeah you, you got to make sure it's usable otherwise people won't bother with it um they, there needs to be a way to introduce yourself into the the the, the thing. So yeah, you're giving them this thing for free, right? But yeah. the thing is, they're also giving you a lot of trust. Yeah, and yeah. so I think it, it. I don't think it's unfair to expect. I mean, I'm kind of big on documentation, so it's maybe easier for me to say this because I ideologically feel this way. Sure. Um, because it, documentation is not easy. Um, there, mm-hmm. man, so many open source projects. You download them, and then you're like, "What do I do with this?" Right. Yeah. And that's like that's normal, and it's like I can't. I mean, it happens so often that obviously it's not. It, it like you can't 
blame everybody. There's another yeah. reason for that. It's yeah. that it's hard. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but if you can, if you can make good instructions, mm. if you can explain what it is, um, and that's leading to the next thing that I think is really valuable yeah. is making sure that you have good documentation that's in the code that you have a system which can generate uh, like a, a, a legible documentation in, in an HTML page mm-hmm. and use uh, tools like GitHub Pages to host that. Oh. There's a whole technical angle to that I won't get into. Okay. But um, it's uh, you document your, your methods in the code mm-hmm. and then you have a separate program, depending on the language you're using, to parse through all your code and generate an HTML page. What? Yeah, it's it, um, the version, the thing I'm using is called LDoc for okay. Lua uh, projects, but um, this is really common for JavaScript developers um, and uh, other languages have their tools of choice that can generate documentation. You still need to write it, but you can write it as comments in your code instead of maintain a separate, it helps things stay in sync. Yeah, like that's you, cool. You still have to run it every time you want yeah. to generate this stuff. But, but that's a lot easier than copy-pasting. It, ma- it makes the job so much easier. Yeah. Now, getting it set up, oh. <laughs> and that's that's in my, I think I talked about that in my uh, talk on, on Noble Engine last year. Mm. Um, but it was absolutely worth it because every time I make a change, and man, the people who have started using it, I'm, I, I can tell they're reading the documentation because the questions they have are born from, I didn't make that clear enough, or here's a bug that I know is not this, this, or that. This is them talking to me yeah. because I, they read the, the documentation. Right, right. And so it's definitely been very useful for users, but it's also been helpful for me to, to understand where the bugs really are because the people coming to me with the requests know more than you would if it's something random happened. Yeah. So it, it pays off in the end. Yeah. I imagine that folks who work in an open source project are probably more comfortable and likely to use um, documentation in the way that you're describing. Because I'm, I'm thinking of like other things. Like I'm thinking of myself. When I went into, yeah. when I started, I've been using GameMaker recently. And when I started using GameMaker, I didn't really use documentation until I, until I had an issue. And then I just would Google it and read the stuff I needed to and then stop reading. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm impressed with people knowing all of the details enough to know that like there's a bug with the code or something. You know, though, I your behavior is, I believe, universal. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, people who use open source software are not always open source advocates. Sure. It's people who don't want to pay for libraries. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, okay. I, I, I'm included in that. Yeah. Case, right? You, you cannot, that's a sort of a good thing to realize is mm-hmm. that you cannot make a project like this and expect your users to have the open source spirit. Yeah. Uh, you, you're, you don't demand that from them and, mm-hmm. and, and you shouldn't expect that from them. Okay. Yeah. Um, but... Those users, when they come up with a problem, mm-hmm. they have somewhere to go first yeah. before they create an issue or or contact me. Right. Um, and uh, you know, it's not perfect, but I'm you know, there's typos and stuff in there I just found today. <laughs> but um, but having something there it will save you a lot of trouble and will help you develop the project further. Sure. And it gives you some discipline. I yeah. think that's really nice. So documentation is good. Yeah. Um, the main piece of documentation is a readme file. Okay. Um, so the way GitHub works is that in the root of your document, you have a, 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 a markdown document. So that's a text file with formatting mm-hmm. um, uh, called readme. And then that just goes on the home page of the project. Yeah. So you don't have to maintain that separately. Um, it's the first impression your project has. It's where you put instructions on how to install it. Mm-hmm. It's where you put any advisory notices on like, don't do this. You know, this is how you know, how to get started. Yeah. It's where I put, please don't clone this project, clone the uh, right, right. Te- product template. Yep. It has a link to the online documentation. Um, it also has, it makes a case for the project. Like, why would you need it? 
who are you and why do you need this? Yeah. Right. Because I think that's one of the things is like, I will find, oh, this is a really cool looking tool. And then I start using it and I was like, oh, this isn't for my use case. Right. And yeah. that's, that's kind of a bummer. Mm-hmm. So you definitely want users who, who buy into uh, not just that you're selling them the idea, um, but that they actually are the right users for it. That yeah. they, you, you don't, you want to shoo away folks who would, not make good use of it or who they would not be interested in whatever right. benefits it could provide. Right. So that's an important part. And that all happens in the readme, the very first impression that you get from folks. Cool. And because it's in Markdown, mm-hmm. um, you, and people who use Discord know Markdown, it's just the, you, you know, you put a- asterisk around for italic, oh. two asterisks for okay. bold. Yeah, I was not sure you know, what Markdown was. <laughs> the, the little uh, uh, capital tilde tick, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. uh, for code blocks. That's Markdown. Okay. It's a format that's been around for a long time. Got it. Um, um, and what you should get, I I think, and this is just because I'm kind of like a, a fussy person when it comes to like document formatting, mm. is you should get yourself a text editor that can do WYSIWYG markdown mm. for headings, links, bullet points, all you know, uh, so you're not writing it like code. Because <laughs> I, I don't like writing big blocks of markdown. I like yeah. putting little things in a, get, in a Discord message. But when I'm going to write a whole document, I want to actually use it like a word processor. That makes sense. The one I use is called Typora. I'll put that in the show notes. Okay. Um, it's not a free app, but it's worth it. Mm-hmm. But there are free apps out there that do a pretty good job. Um, so I recommend putting a little bit of time into that because, again, it's first impressions. You know, sure. you want to, uh, you know, describe things to people in the way that they should be. Yeah. And as you work on it, you put on your document writing hat and you start, you know, if you have any experience with that, you kind of know. Because if you're just writing like a plain text message, your, your instincts don't kick in as to being concise and yeah, yeah, yeah. all that stuff. Yeah, it, it puts you in that mindset of writing the you know the page in co- or the paper in college or whatever. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> a good way of describing yeah. that. Mm-hmm. So not, not a five paragraph essay. Right, we're not going for that. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot. I mean, I think I I'm basically covering sort of big picture topics here. Yeah, the two things I want to talk about specifically before we move on are uh, GitHub issues mm. and uh, pull requests. Okay. Oh yeah. So an I... issue is essentially like a forum thread okay. um, on your project. Um, and it is very often used that way. I have a question. Here's a problem. You know, uh, this is cool. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> has anybody noticed this? Like, yeah. it's the same kinds of things you get from any kind of forum. And it works like, that. Uh, uh, you know, it, it feels like that when you're using it. Okay. But as the maintainer, you can add, you can add labels to it. So you can say, oh, this is a bug. This is a feature request. This is a support request. And there's a couple of different like um, uh, tags that are that helps you keep track of these things. But so you specifically have to add those tags, or yes, you or any of the other maintainers on your project. Oh, 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 sure, sure. So you pretty much to begin with. Yeah, okay. Um, And it's used to keep track of those things. You also can delete them. Mm -hmm. You have a lot of you know you have a lot of mod control over it. Essentially, makes sense. Um, You can sort it. You can rewrite the 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 topic um, so that it makes more sense to other people. Yeah, it's different from a forum in that way. You moderate it in a different kind of way. Sure. But um, the thing about GitHub that's interesting is they have this system where everything is tagged with a number. Mm. So every issue is, you know, pound sign seven or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the next pound sign eight is just the next thing that happens on the project. Mm. So it could be a pull request. It could be an issue. It could be a forum discussion. It could be there's a bunch of different things. Uh, I don't remember all of them off the top of my head, but it's a bunch of things that just use this number and they just count up sequentially. Oh, They're good. just like a, a, a code for a piece of information about your project. Okay. When you make a commit yeah. in GitHub or, or in your Git client of choice, yeah. you can say, fixes the bug referenced in pound sign 16. Now, Git has no idea about like Git the software. doesn't know what this is. Yeah. But when it's uploaded to GitHub, it knows it, it that a pound sign means it's part of this system of just simple numbers hmm. and whatever 16 is it'll just link to that oh that's so cool it's really useful because then when someone is is browsing through 
your recent commits, yeah. they can click to see what bug was fixed and the yeah, whole discussion right. about that. That's awesome. And so um, taking advantage of this when you write your commit messages and when you create new issues, you can say, I'm referring to this pull request, also part of this numbering system. Yeah. And the numbers, I mean, it, as someone who likes to catalog things, having a bunch of different things all share the same like, you know, just append uh, a library. Yeah. Of it's like, it makes me, yeah. it's weird. It does not feel organized. Yeah. You but have it's, like a childlike expression of joy on your face yeah. as you describe this. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so easy to use yeah. because it's so simple. And I think that's really, really valuable. And so everything, if you maintain your project on GitHub, it has a bunch of really good tools. It's all tied into this system. And um, so, you know, an issue will come in. It's a bug. You can assign it to yourself. Mm. Or if you have other maintainers on the project, you can assign it to them. So it's kind of like a, a Jira ticket, essentially. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a similar it, system. The way you were right? describing it reminded me. And yeah. uh, GitHub now has Kanban boards. So basically oh. Trello is built right in. <laughs> and they're based on projects. So you can say this repo is part of this project. And when a, an, an issue comes in, I can say assign this to the project Noble Engine. Mm. And it will create a, an entry in my Trello-like board yeah. uh, for me to check on that. Um, and here's the best part. When I when I close a bug using a commit, I can say it closes the issue in number whatever, and the Kanban board will just automatically update. Wow. It's all just very it's all based on this very simple system that you engage with by typing. <laughs> like it's really, really it's very intuitive. Um it, you do have to maintain good habits with it, I think, sure. to make good use of it. Mm. Um but it's nice because then people visiting the, the page can know which issues I've deemed are important mm. or have high priority mm. or that I've assigned to myself or ones that I've, you know, and I could do that by commenting, yeah. but it's easier for people to get a glance of where the project stands, how, how it's moving. Without having to open up the bug and yep. stuff. Yeah. And when you have multiple maintainers, uh, it's a good way for people to communicate quickly back and forth right. because it, everything needs to be efficient because nobody's getting paid. Yeah. <laughs> so you said you have to maintain some discipline about how you're using it, yeah. but how do you do that across a group of volunteers essentially who aren't, you know, it's what essentially it's very similar to moderating a, a Discord channel or a forum, where you you, you grant people uh, access in various levels. Okay. okay. So this person can manage issues. This person can push to the repo, and, and that is totally up to you. If you're just making your own project, all of that is on you. Right. Um. And so, uh, you don't share that responsibility with anybody. If you do share that responsibility with people, then you sort of have to understand if they have a shared working process, mm -hmm. because the system has a couple of opinions on how to do things, but it doesn't force anything on you in particular, mm -hmm. um, because it's kind of just a broad framework rather than like a, a workflow exactly. Okay. So if you do work with other people, in order to maintain that discipline, you all have to be on the same page on how these things work. Yeah. Um. And that comes to the main way that people can contribute, which is to actually write code for your project. And uh, not many, but a couple of people have done that now for Noble Whoa. Engine. Uh, they fixed their own bugs and sent me the code. Ooh. It's a great feeling. Yeah, <laughs> Whoa. that's great. And so the process of that is the last thing I'll talk about, um, is uh, they send in their own commit, they make a branch, mm -hmm. or they make their, or really they fork the project. Sure. And we've talked about that in other episodes. Um, and then they submit the pull request, and then they they're asking you to pull that into the, the main branch of the project. Yeah. And so um, this is the other thing that is that I had to learn a lot about technically, because how am I supposed to test that code? Yeah. Right. Like yeah. I'm working on the project. How do I? It's their fork of the repo. What do yeah. I? How do I get it without committing it locally and then undoing it? People who know Git know that it's hard to undo things yes. by design. Yeah. Um, this is where a lot of your Git clients are not good at this, but mm. GitHub Desktop, which is a Git client that I don't really love, mm. but I use it when I need to do this. Okay. Which is I in the it's because it's it's keyed into the GitHub system. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I will and pull requests are not unique to GitHub, right? But the way GitHub does it is a little unique. Okay. And so what I'll do is I will just 
I will accept, I will review the the pull, the pull request in the GitHub desktop application. Mm -hmm. It will create a branch for me that just has those changes, switch me to that branch, and then now I can use it in my local project, and including in like my, my sub-module projects, like my, my bigger projects. So I don't need to move any of that stuff around. Okay. Test it out, see if it works, it's fine. I can approve it. Um, or reject it or leave comments because it's part of a, also it's a pull request has its own if, uh, forum thread essentially as well. Ah. That can be cross-referenced to an issue and back and forth. Okay, that's cool. And so um, if I approve the request, then I can then, uh, it could just, you know, uh, merge it into the main branch and then I can delete that branch. Hmm. And the person who forked their version, now they have to delete that fork or they have to pull in their their, their own changes yeah. from the official branch or the, the official one. Mm -hmm. So that's a sort of a separate process if you're someone who's submitting something. And I feel like I've kind of run out of time with this topic, but there is so many technical things. I think if you want to get involved with this, there's the two halves of it. There's the, the I mean, two halves apart entirely from actually writing this code, yeah. which is the... <laughs> Uh, maintaining a presence and using the GitHub system or something similar. Yeah. Um, and then also learning about how to just, what buttons to press, logistically <laughs> how to manage it, we need to manage it. Yeah. Because the thing is, a pull request or an issue will pop in at a random time of the day <laughs> right. when I am busy doing something else. Yeah. And I want to be responsive and I am the only person working on it right now. And I want to make sure that people who have invested some time into using it feel that I am paying attention to them. Yeah. And that is hard. Yeah. And so um, I, I would recommend just doing what I did, which is just take three days and just read all about it. Mm. Um, if you want to know all the, de the technical details, get things set up and try to maintain those good habits so that I haven't touched it in two weeks and then an issue comes up or I have some t free time and I want to get around to solving something that's been on the board for a little while. Yeah. I can pick up right where I left off without having to reset everything up or sure. having to remember how to do this or that. Right. It's, yeah. It's that like anything that, that, you know, like... It has to be the kind of thing like riding a bike where you can go a long time without doing it and still remember how it works, mm -hmm. which is hard in programming, right? Yeah, it, it totally is. I, I'm imagining myself doing this and I'd be like, I'm not reading anything. Yeah. And I'll just start doing stuff and then people will give me requests and like, how do I deal with this? And it, yeah, it'd be a yeah. whole mess of project. Yeah. And the la so the, the main thing I guess to take away from this is to know this about it. Yeah. Um, that it requires that. It isn't that hard once you figure it out. Right, right. Um, but you just have to take yeah. And if, time. If, it's, if it's a big hassle every time, then you should probably do some foundational learning about it to make sure that, or, you know, maybe you should not bother yourself with it. <laughs> <laughs> that's true too. But that's the other thing about it is that you need to let everybody know that you are only human. Yeah. And I've had a couple of conversations with some enthusiastic supporters that tried to get my attention a little bit too much oh. and started to feel a little bit neglected when I didn't get back to them in the next day. Oh, goodness. And said some things. Wow. It happens, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, other people who have been absolutely shocked that that I got back to them within a week mm. and so pleased. Yeah. Like it really runs the gamut, right? <laughs> yeah. um, but it's important to be not just open with your code, but open with your intent. Let people know that you're working on this this week or yeah. let people know that, hey, FYI, I'll keep checking in. I'll make sure I'll maintain, I'll check your pull requests. But just so you know, it's going to be a while before I get back to this. Okay. Like in any opportunity, any venue, you have to say that. And that can include just making your own issue, just saying, you know, whatever. Yeah. But also answering people's questions. When they say like, hey, what about this feature? Say, oh, that's a great idea. But also tell them, but I'm probably not going to get to it for a while. Sure. Or, hey, check out this part of the project if you want to help me build that feature. Yeah. Like be encouraging, but also just be really honest. Yeah. Because you have to set other people's expectations. Because I tell you, I have started work 
with other people's open source projects that I got really excited about. I hit a brick wall on them at some point that something that I could not continue unless it was fixed. Yeah. And then I realized that the project's not being maintained anymore. Oh, and, no. And that's not anybody's fault. Right, yeah. Right? No I mean, it's my paid. fault, most of all. Yeah. But if there was more availability, if I could better understand that that, that was the state of the project yeah. or that... Um, the developer had either moved on or they didn't have time. And it's yeah. not, again, they gave the code away. They, yeah. don't, know, they don't owe you anything else, mm-hmm. um, technically. Um, if I could understand that better, then I would be, make a more informed judgment as to whether they use it. So yes. the more open and honest you are, the more likely people are going to take a, a risk on, try, on using your code, on being dependent on your code. Right. And so it's, there's a lot of things to consider. Yeah, that's good to know. That's very good to know. I'll have to keep that in mind. Thank and you. when you use open source projects, you know, give a thought to all the effort it takes, yeah. not just to write the stuff. Yeah, that's good. Also good to know. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Be nice. Good rule of thumb. <laughs> so yeah, there are places you can follow and follow us and hang out with us. Yes. We've got Twitter. We do. Um, we also have a Discord channel. Yeah. And you can join it by going to nicegames.club slash Discord. But why would someone do that? Well, because it's cool to hang out with people like us and also a whole bunch of other listeners. Yeah. And the interesting thing is like, you know, whenever there's a new episode that comes out, usually we post a link in the chat and someone will have some questions about it or responses to something or, or hot takes. And it <laughs> kicks I up. mean, yawn. Then there's got to <laughs> I mean, be more. Like maybe maybe lukewarm takes too, but no. Um, and then usually there's like this whole organic discussion that yeah. kind of cascades out of that. And then sometimes yeah. you get random stuff like people are posting. What are people posting? I don't understand. Like people are talking. I completely lost track of the conversation. <laughs> I, I stopped watching watching the chat for like two days, and now I don't even understand. There's a Klingon blowing up candles. Going there's, fast. There's like music stuff yeah someone someone who regularly frequents the, the discord uh posted um music that they've made recently oh man really cool. oh yeah that song's a banger yeah <laughs> i do see that i do see just say go i mean we could put it in the show notes and maybe that would be the nice thing to do but I tell you what if you go to nicegames.club slash discord you can find it right there yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna pin it to the top of the channel right there now sounds good i don't think i have that privilege We'll, we'll figure it out. <laughs> we'll have it pinned, and you'll be able to listen to it. We finally figured out how to exploit our audience. <laughs> About time. Yeah. Come hang out with cool people on our Discord. <laughs> <laughs> Nicegames.club slash Discord. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. 
But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Okay, how do I get into this topic? <laughs> What's a killer, Alan? I'm just going to ask that right off because I don't know what that means. This has been on the board for like a couple of weeks. Right. And it's real awkward because it's the name. What I, I assume when you say killer, you don't mean literal. Ring, ring, ring. Yeah. <laughs> We're not talking about a murder spree. <laughs> well, sort of kind of not. Oh, OK. <laughs> OK. So this goes back to this um, this theory developed by um, Richard Bartle. Uh-huh. Um, which was developed a while ago and has gone through some additional iterations. And but the original theory had like four different player types that, um, he observed in muds, right? Mm-hmm. So this is like you know the forerunner to MMOs. Um, and the the idea is that there would be there are these four player types, and there are they exist across different axes. There's like there are these four axes of axing or acting and interacting. Um, and then there is a separate horizontal axis of world and players. Okay. So you, if you are someone who likes to interact, if you're on the interacting spectrum or side of the spectrum and you're on the player side of the spectrum, then you are a socializer. So you like interacting with other players. Yeah. Okay. If you are on the player side of the spectrum and you like acting on other players, you are a killer because you are exer- exerting control over them. Oh. Right? Um, the other two types we've got. You know, I mentioned socializers. I mentioned killers. There's achievers who like acting on the world, right? Mm-hmm. So they're, you know, exerting their presence on the world. Sure. And then there are explorers who are interacting with the world. Ah, okay. So, yeah. So then there was a bunch of other, like, literature and, I think, research. And I'm not an expert on this by any means. And I think that the the um, the idea of this quadrant, and I think he eventually expanded it to like eight player types, but I'm not oh. going to get into that because I'm really just focused on killers today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm just giving some background. So I, there's been additional research, there's been additional like thought leadership around this idea. Sure. Another piece of thought leadership that has come around um, this idea of Bartle's player types is like, when does it not apply? Mm. Yeah. And one of the things he has specifically written about is how it does not apply to gamification. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? Like this is, this is, a this is a theory about um player interactions with within a game system and with a game system mm-hmm. in a specific type of game <laughs> sure okay right? right um so it's not something you can just stamp onto other types of games although i do want to come back to that because i think there are some ways that we can think about the idea of what a killer is in different contexts okay um but yeah so that's that's the root of it we've got these four player types they have different axes I'll link to some stuff in the show notes. You can read it on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there are these the socializers and the explorers and the achievers. We love the badges. And then there are the killers. And they just drive me nuts. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the root of this topic. Yeah. <laughs> and really, that is the root of the topic is yeah. why the heck do we even bother with these folks? <laughs> right? Okay, okay. So let me let me explain a little bit more because I do want to come back to that question. And I do want to actually have a real conversation about why. Yeah. But like it comes the reason this became a topic is because I kind of connected the dots on some things and realized that I didn't have a good answer for that question. So first of all, the first thing that I've noticed is you know you go to any online like 
big MMO game. Yeah. Um, whether it's an ancient an ancient relic like World of Warcraft, um, or something like up and coming like Day of Dragons is one that I've been playing a little bit on and off because okay. I, I think I'm part of their testing and whatever. Sure. Um, they have like PvP servers and they have PVE servers. Yeah. Right. So if you don't want any interaction with those those rascally killers <laughs> you go to a pve server mm-hmm. and then you but you also go to a pvp server so to me that communicates two things one i'm not alone and not wanting to deal with those people <laughs> um but two there are, are enough of them that they they do warrant some sort of attention within the development of a product right okay <sighs> it's i mean i could almost preempt the the irritation by saying well aren't there just games that invite killers and only killers and wouldn't that be okay well i don't know i don't know okay that's this actually brings back to something we were talking about before we even started recording today Uh and that's that quote from westworld in order for someone to win someone else has to lose right right Uh right like i don't really like there are some games that i like playing that way but here's the thing that that makes like the experience of being on the other end of a killer way more frustrating like okay so you're playing your game and you're doing your thing you've got your gameplay loop you've got your goal in mind and you're going through and you're doing it and wham someone comes across and just takes you out and then they just like keep killing you over and over again yeah. or they they bother you enough to interrupt what you were doing but you can't, then they run away and you can't kill them and that's something i observed when i was watching uh, my husband Eric and one of his friends play Elden Ring. Yeah, because oh. they got invaded, and this yeah. guy just kept like running, just kept running. <laughs> they couldn't get him. Oh good. And then he tried to run them into a bunch of mobs, like yeah. big crab or snail things, mm-hmm. and it was just the most. It, it just completely derailed their game. Yeah. For yeah. like fifteen minutes, and it wasn't even that exciting of a fight at the end. Like they eventually cornered the guy, and they had to fight. And yeah. I think he took them both out, but it wasn't like exciting in any way. Yeah, it was just sure. like right. It's this- meant to be an asymmetrical gameplay experience. But I've almost heard never. I've almost heard nobody get excited about being on that side of it. Exactly, and that's that's the crux of my question. Is like, huh. I think I've had one experience where I was on the the receiving end of a killer's attention yeah. and it ended up being an awesome experience. And the reason it was an awesome experience is because I was a tiny little level 50 druid in World of Warcraft, but my boyfriend at the time was a guild like guild leader <laughs> for one of the best rating guilds on the server. Oh. And so all of the guild was totally decked out. And so when yeah. I went into guild chat and I was like, help, <laughs> my friend and I are getting ganked. Like 30 of these like epic and legendary geared people showed up in oh like this tiny little backwater region of the map yeah. and just killed the guy killed him again killed him again killed the flight master killed the griffins like <laughs> completely wiped the map of the opposite faction what's funny about that is that that's you exercising your killer instinct i didn't want to though i didn't start <laughs> okay. this yes okay. but you i can your smile is not abating <laughs> <laughs> no i didn't start it but i sure as hell ended it <laughs> So okay. I, and then we just went yeah. back to like my friend and I. We just went back to doing our little questy bits, yeah, like, and that's yeah. all I wanted to do in the beginning. And so I think I, that comes that that is the one experience I've ever had where the interaction I had with the killer was ultimately positive for me. Otherwise, right. it's just frustrating. I quit. I stop playing. I just yeah. stop being fun to kill. I get boring, and that's not fun for me. So if so, why why do we even why do we even let them do that? <laughs> It's sort of interesting because I like I have this core criticism of competitive games, but a lot of times, in order for it to be fun enough to play, mm-hmm. you have to have that kind of 
winner and loser. Mm-hmm. And the, the ideal experience is where everyone wins and loses just about the same amount, or rather, everyone's above average, you know, and <laughs> yeah. can feel good about themselves. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a zero-sum game, I guess. But right. um, or, or you could improve, you could be, you know, on the losing end for a long time and get better and better and better. But I think that's such a tricky balance. Like, I don't like that kind of setup, but I kind of recognize that there's no way around it. Like, there's just too many games that would couldn't exist without that being a, a core... I don't know, Steven, you're, you like well, that, you like winners and losers in your games? I do. I do indeed. <laughs> um, so all of this reminded me a lot of Deathloop. Um, and, like, the way that Deathloop works is if you're playing... There's two. There's actually like two modes of play in that game. Mm-hmm. You can either play as Cole, who's like the main character, and he, uh, you know, he's the one who's trying to figure out why the loop is happening, trying to stop the loop. And you could play as Juliana, who is trying to kill Cole. Um, in you know, in their individual games, it's all online. And like, uh, I think actually most people play as Cole, so like Juliana players just kind of sit there for a long time. <laughs> it's not a great experience. I, I played it once, and I was like, this, I don't like this. But is that uh, a requirement of that game? Is is that character always played by another human? No, sometimes it's played by AI. Okay, because hmm. um, I think not enough. Like I said, a lot of people are playing Cole. Right, <laughs> not right. enough people are playing as Juliana. Um, but as a result of how that works, if uh, if Juliana does not show up in your game, Cole's just you know he's You've developed a plan at this point, probably, and you're just executing on that plan. And it's relatively simple to do that if you understand how the AI works. And, like, the AI is not that complicated. I mean, it's obviously complicated, but not, like, ridiculously so complicated right. that, like, you, you can't solve it. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and so, like, you'll just, you know, execute on a plan, and then you'll just move on to the next part of the day. Um, but when Juliana shows up, then the Cole player has to adapt and uh, react to what the Juliana player is trying to do. Um, and then the Cole player has three tries to, like, uh, defeat Juliana before Juliana defeats him, mm-hmm. but um, be, it it changes up the dynamic of the game while she's in play. So I think, and if you're a Juliana player, it sounds like you would end up being you would be a killer in that, like you want to you know kill Cole, and that's the only thing you could do really. You're not trying to solve any problems, you're not trying to break any loops, you're not trying to understand lore or story or anything like right. that. Um, so I think in that game in particular, it does work because like I found that my uh, I mean, I found that my plans were ruined whenever Juliana showed up, but like it was still, it can still be an exciting game. It doesn't always end up being the case because sometimes I'd just like be way better, or sometimes I just wouldn't be able to figure out where Juliana was and I would just get wrecked. That tension or fear even is yes. is is a is a good part of the experience. Yeah, it's interesting and compelling. Hmm. Yeah. Um. So like it worked, and that game was you know is designed around that experience. Mm-hmm. So like it worked out in that. Um. I don't really play MMOs, so I can't. Uh, quite justify why mmos have pvp <laughs> versus pve but i mean i imagine that i don't know it, it, it's sort of like a, a skill check based thing like you want to prove that you're that you have a good understanding and knowledge and have worked so hard to get to this part uh or to get to this level in the game that you want to prove to other people that you've done that i don't know post some cool screenshots of your awesome gear you know, well, I have I'm, a, kidding. I have a, I'm kidding. I'm being a, facetious. I have a yeah. cynical theory about okay. about MMOs. Sure, sure. Which mm-hmm. is that if you're someone who's really into it, yeah, um, eventually you'll run out of environment. Yes. And what what other what you know? That's end game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is, you know, what what more mountains are there to scale? Yes. And so uh, that's just a cheap way to provide more experience, more content. That is a very good point, and I think you're absolutely correct. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a lot of the when you yeah, because I oftentimes find myself I, when I play an MMO. I have played a lot of MMOs at this point, but I never get very far because I don't find myself fitting in a community or whatever. Yeah. Or I get bored or something. 
Mm -hmm. Um, But like my ultimate goal kind of is to get to the end where I could do the cool raids or do PVP stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I never get that far, but that could be, that would be a cool motivation for me. Um, And it'd be a motivation to interact between guilds and stuff too. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that those games are designed around that kind of idea that the end game is once you've done the raids, the end game and you have your cool gear and whatever the end game is just to do PVP. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, I think it would be, and I, I don't know what games employ a system similar to this. Yeah, but where, like you say, you could have guilds and they could just organize an intramural battle yeah. this afternoon. It sounds like Eve, right? So everyone, so, <laughs> yeah. so everyone in the you know PvP area is is participating in that multiplayer battle experience, right? Rather than, to, but then I guess I mean you have the choice not to, right? So yeah, is is there something thrilling about being in the danger zone? Like where so you could just you're doing your quests or you're grinding and it's kind of interesting that there's could be someone with an axe nearby. Yeah, I, that might be a part of it. It like, adds a sense of thrill. Yeah, like I was saying with with uh, Deathloop. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that totally makes sense. And to kind of argue against myself, like I do mm-hmm. think, you know, there is a slightly different flavor of your mentality that comes to mind when you click on a PvP server. Yeah. yeah. Right. And it depends on the game, like the exact the exact nature of the flavor and what what comes into that, like. In like a survival game, if you're doing PvP, if you get killed, you might lose all your stuff. Yeah, right. Um, not so the case in something like World of Warcraft. And <laughs> there's there is something also interesting I think about um, how the a game that allows for PvP does allow like handles the end of the of the interaction. Mm-hmm. So, and this is one of the things that I think. I think that maybe the the Soulsborne games do pretty well yeah. in Elden Ring too, is that they don't let the person just kind of linger in your world. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like you're 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 dead and you move on. Now there's still the issue of like it's a big world and so they can lead you on a merry chase and waste your time. Right. But they're you know it's a little different than like okay you're you know being camped. Yeah. In the middle of this zone, and there's no one around because it's like the hinterlands, literally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and. So and they're just killing you over and over again. Right, right. Um, I don't think that's I don't there's I don't really see any redeeming qualities in that. And there have been systems that like I think World of Warcraft has specifically has in, you know implemented to try to right. help with that. But I don't think that it's like it's a lot of the behavior is not coming from like a desire to seek out honor kill points to get your <laughs> PvP gear. You know, it's funny because I as you were describing like the scenario where someone invades and then runs away, yeah. so they maintain. They maintain their status as a threat to you, so, and that's so annoying. <laughs> that instinct of like beating or humiliating or humbling the other the other player is comes from that that exploitative mechanic. So any system designed to make it less appealing to that killer sensibility is going to be not fun for the killer. Yeah, yeah, right. And so in and and they know like that like well you know I could lose this encounter. So how do I do something that I can still Right. My, you know, like I, you know, uh, uh, damn the rules of the game. Yeah, right. And so when you encourage that kind of attitude, and then try to um, uh, blunt it with with you know balancing mechanics, the people who you've encouraged to feel this way will find every way around it. And so I'm. I mean, it's part of the point. I'm with you. We should not bother making games <laughs> for these people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's I. I don't know. It's just so interesting. But on the other hand, like there is something tantalizing. I think this is, you know, the point you were trying to, one of the points you were making, Stephen, is that there is something tantalizing yeah. about the possibility <laughs> of someone popping up. Yeah. You know? Like, and here's the thing is like, if, if I'm just like my level 20, 
druid hanging mm. out in some zone, and then somebody rides by with their awesome epic mount, and they have a skull, and I can't even mm. yeah. way above my level. Um, they can kill me really fast, and then they probably just move on with their day. And that doesn't sound actually terrible because it's it is like oh my gosh, they just popped up. I mean, I didn't even know. <laughs> yeah. And it, it kind of being able to have that encounter mm-hmm. doesn't feel terrible. It's yeah. the it's the persistent harass like not harass i don't feel like harassment is probably the wrong word but maybe it's the right word it's the persistent yeah. like harrying when someone just hounds you over and over again yeah yeah and i don't really know like if how you deal with that except for something like the souls of games where they just cut you off yeah and even yeah. then you know like sometimes times that there's nobody playing so you just keep trying to some like you keep going to someone else's world and you end up in the same person's world over and over again yeah, yeah, yeah. there's no one else online but like yeah i i think it's I think that the thing that makes it really frustrating to me and maybe players who share my sensibilities, I guess, is that it's not over fast. I can't get back to the gameplay loop yeah, quickly. Yeah, yeah. I don't mind failure if I get to try again really yeah. fast. You know, it, it it's interesting because I think you can get all those as the, the player on the receiving end of danger. You can get all those feelings from AI controlled systems. Yeah, you can. So I'm thinking about Assassin's Creed origins i think that might be in some of the other games where if at a certain point there could be i don't know i don't remember what they're called i wish i did but um they're like super hunters Uh who know you're around Mm -hmm. and come after you Mm -hmm. and they are you have to run away from them yeah i mean you can take them on but like it does require you to completely pivot from your activities to deal with that threat right or you can sort of pivot from your activities to evade that threat sure Mm -hmm. it's a pretty interesting mechanic Mm -hmm. yeah that could easily be a player invasion system because the idea is, is that the challenge is, I mean, you could give a player coming in better weapons or more armor or whatever to make yeah. that unbalanced. But the that that fear that it is is supposed to be, you know, the the, the they're out to get you. Mm. That I think that works just as well, even though it doesn't have a player brain behind it. So sure. maybe you don't have the same sort of like satisfaction outwitting an right. AI. Well, so, so or unpredictability. But my yeah, my point is, is that. Um, you know, theoretically, you yeah. could you could make that feel as good as or feel like it's a person invading your game. Yes. Um, but the mechanic, the where it breaks down is when you have that other person's motivations getting in the way of that perfect system, uh-huh. right? Of, of like trying to to grief the other player, right? Yeah. Or 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 matches being you keep being matched up with the same person and both of you are bored of it, mm-hmm. so somebody decides to do something stupid. Yeah. And the other person's not into it. Yeah. Like they, they don't go to the same place of fun together, you know. Yeah. And so I think you can still get those things in other ways, but it's it's about it's about providing the killer with that experience of being a killer. Yeah. And it's still, you can still have the things those systems give you without needing to satisfy that killer instinct. Well, I, I will say that I have an issue, frankly, with the name killer because it implies that you're actively trying to kill another person. And I mean, most of the time that's how it pops up <laughs> in the game, right? But... So you just uh, talk yourself out of this argument. No. Okay. What I was going Case to closed. say is that... <laughs> What I was going to say is that you can get the same satisfaction out of just outsmarting someone else. Yeah, right. It doesn't have to be just killing. Well, that's the, it's like he's a killer. You know, it's 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 not. Oh, no, I know. It's meant, it, you know someone who is you know out for blood, ready to win. Right. You know? But I'm I, what I'm suggesting is that like outsmarting someone. Take no prisoners. <laughs> <laughs> he's, got one. One. He's, he's got, got one. He's got one more. One more. <laughs> no, that's it. I'll oh. save. I'll save it for later. Okay. Cool. Cool. <laughs> and when I start talking. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but look, I think I think outsmarting someone is. It's still just about as satisfying for a killer as it, um, and is less detrimental to other players who are not interested in that kind of gameplay. Yeah. 
Um, so I think that like that kind of that kind of aspect, like it, it'd be one thing. Like it, you, I could, I think what you're saying, what you've said before, Ellen, makes sense. Where that like your entire game plan is ruined, and you have to like completely derail what you were doing in order to deal with this thing, and you might fail, and then it'll take you forever to get back to where you were. Yeah, that's all like a huge detriment to somebody else. I've yeah. got half an hour per day to play games. Like I, yeah. I don't want to. No. Yeah, you don't want to have to deal with that. That's why I don't play that type of game anymore. But if this thing, if if the killer just like slows you down, slows down your momentum, so that your thirty minute gameplay is maybe forty five minutes. I mean, it's not great still, but like yeah. it's it it's you know it slows you down, but you're still able to progress. Yeah, I think that the killer can still get some satisfaction out of outsmarting the player or slowing them down, and you're not. And you're not completely ruining the game for another person. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I think because that's kind of how I think about it with with respect to Death Loop. I think that well, if you could, I think like a whole day. Um, you know, the whole the game takes place in four different um times days times during the day, mm-hmm. and um, I think that a whole day doesn't take that long when you have an idea on how you're going to execute the plans. It, it's pretty fast. Yeah. Um, even if you're not like trying to speedrun or anything like that, like because like you get really good weapons <laughs> when you fight it long enough. Um, but when Juliana shows up, like she doesn't, she will end up ruining that specific attempt that day, but it's not that bad. It's Mm -hmm. not that big of a detriment. Mm -hmm. I think it just sucks in the moment, but then you just get back into it and you can like get more stuff down the line. Um, so I think just making, figuring out ways to make the consequences of a killer, uh, less, affecting for other players would make well sometimes aren't, aren't some games that do this if you take out the killer who invades your space yeah you get some reward that yeah. would otherwise be denied you so there's yeah. some some method of like well there's that benefit too because yeah like, it, it throws you off your game but there's an opportunity for something well cool. yeah and then the player and the the, the the other player and the killer are playing effectively at the same level and it, 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 it kind of does that in, in death loop except juliana only has one life while cole has three yeah um so juliana has to kill cole three times um, but you get like pretty good rewards for, for, for hmm. killing her. Right. So, um, I think that helps, that helps motivate, um, both players to yeah. you know, fight each other. Cause I think the problem is, is like, I'm okay with a game being so hard that I couldn't reach the challenge, but I don't like the idea of somebody else stopping me from it. Sure. <laughs> like, yeah. You, yeah. You know, it, it's a, it's a psychological thing rather than yeah. a mechanical thing. I think that's fair though. Yeah. Um, that makes and, sense. and so even offering those rewards for uh, avoiding that, that hurt, mm-hmm. uh, it can only get you so far yeah. in terms of, of making it feel worth your time. Oh, sure. You know? Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I would just implore folks to think about it, not necessarily as people taking away from other folks, yeah. but just like it being a different style of play. I think that's what this this Bartle thing was proposing. Yeah, yeah it was. It's just a different style right. of play. Right, and that wasn't like, I don't think that was part of his original thesis, was yeah. like, there are these four types, and one of them is useless. Right. <laughs> right? Um, I think there was, some, you know, there was some literature talking about like what the balance is, because they're not they're not intended to be represented in equal portions. Right, right. and it, the all these examples we've been coming up is when you throw people of a different type together, mm-hmm. and then you try to mechanically have them both achieve their own goals. Right. Yeah. Um, and and there could be one could and one one does and one fails. But I think when you're being when you're faced with a killer and you're not a killer, in order to defeat them, you have to become a killer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just for a brief moment, right? Or just be really good at escaping. Right. Which you, is you my can't, favorite you tactic. Can't do you can't really like lean hard into your quadrant and succeed. Yeah. Well, 
if you're an explorer and you know all the places you can go to hide. <laughs> oh, okay. I suppose so. That's, I suppose that's fair. That's why yeah. they're on opposite ends of corners. <laughs> well, that, that I mean, that's the future of making this balance work mm-hmm. is by letting people like really like what they've enjoyed so far. Mm-hmm. Let the it's a t- it should be a test of that. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's easier said than done, of course. Right? Yeah, for sure. And I think you know, I I think that some of the things that we've ta- discussed as possible solutions to that, you see them in the games, right? Like. Mm-hmm. Limiting the amount of time they can come back and get you, maybe limiting the amount of time they can even bother you, depending on how you set up your game. Like having like a timer afterwards where they don't get to hit you any <laughs> again would yeah. be maybe nice. Right. Um, the other thing that's interesting is just like there's just like so many different types of PvP games out there right mm-hmm. now. Like right. fight you know, fighting games like the classic stuff, but yeah. like battle royale games obviously have become huge. Mm-hmm. And Maybe it's maybe the the issue of should killers, you know, how do you design so that killers can have fun without ruining the fun of everyone else? Maybe that's not as much of a question anymore because people aren't playing those games as much. I'm not sure. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. Something to look into. Also, I still I still don't like them. <laughs> Good <laughs> well, conversation. I still yeah. don't like them. Glad we had that uh co- yeah. No holds cool. barred. Yeah. <laughs> There's another one. I will as nicely as I possibly can say. that's a great coda for the episode (laughs) that's our show for show notes and links on today's topics go to our website nicegames.club visit us on twitter at nicegamesclub where Dale tweets about game dev resources and self-explanatory features we like hearing from you so tweet back or email us contact at nicegames.club nice games club is on patreon support the show and get stuff Sign up at patreon.com slash nicegamesclub. And if you want to keep things more casual, just stop by nicegames.club slash discord and listen to that song we told you to listen to. <laughs> it's a banger, I'm it, telling it you. It really is. But that's it for this week. So, until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.